Seattle Sports Snapshot. Well, college basketball star Caitlin Clark announced on social media today that she will be finishing her college career this year and that she will be will not be coming back for the fifth season via the COVID-19 waiver. She is projected to be the WNBA's number one overall pick by the Indiana Fever. Now, what's interesting about this, according to Darren Ravel, she makes somewhere around $800,000 right now playing at Iowa. She'll make a max of 80000 in the WNBA. So perhaps there'll be a lot of endorsements coming her way. Uh, meanwhile, the Kraken get back to it tonight, hosting the Pittsburgh Penguins. They've won two out of their last three games, looking to make it three out of their last four. Puck drops at 7 p.m. Snapshot brought to you by Miller Lite. When it's game time, it's Miller time. This is the moment many wait for. The most entertaining. The man of wisdom. The man of experience, Dave. The most informative. To bring light to a dark subject. To bring positivity to a negative world. The incredible Paul Moyer. Moyer out, you losers. Ah, there's that voice. There's the guy. We look forward to it every week. He's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Our buddy Paul Moyer is here. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm doing well, man. You guys must be in a good mood. That was a nice chat with John Schneider. That kept me uh, entertained. I appreciate that. We, we thought of you the whole time. We said, what would Paul want to hear? <laughs> <laughs> he, he's I warming up for you. you guys. I did. I wanted to text you. I go, do you guys mind asking him this question? <laughs> I want, I, I, one, one of my questions I want to ask him is, so, John, you got all these scouts and, and you know, uh, pro player development people, all those things. I go, how much does your vote count? And, and I'm assuming it's one more than all of them combined. But I'm really <laughs> curious is, is, you know, how much does he actually go against them? You know, I mean, I just, it'd be fascinating behind the scenes and, and what would be some of their heated debates. And did something really come down to, God, I'm not really sure about this pick, but, you know, these guys are all t- saying it's the right one. I don't know. I just, th- those would be fascinating decisions because your decision absolutely affects the future of the team. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. Well, and this year's so unique. We've talked about we don't really know what to expect because this is the first time he's doing it without Pete there, who by all measure had the final say. Now it's John with the final say. So I, I, maybe it's a, ple- a completely different dynamic in terms of the you know debating back and forth about players, or you know it's going to be it's going to be a, a different different experience than it's been the past fourteen years. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Well, I mean just. Uh listening that, you know, the coaches won't be down there um, for the combine, which to be honest, they, they really don't need to be. They re- they really don't. It, it, to me, it's more of a networking moment to interview the players. The scouts can do all that. You, you get tape of the combine. You're going to be able to see that anyway. So probably better use of their time to actually implement and, and get ready for OTAs and stuff. Yeah, Paul, I was – well, damn it, why didn't you text us that question, first of all? Uh, well, well, it's still relevant next week. We we'll can do ask it. We'll do it yeah. next week in person, yeah. Um, but what was it like, Paul, when, when you played as far as the um, – I'm sorry, when you coached, um, the the relationship between coaches and your personnel guys, I mean, did everybody kind of stay in their lane? Do you think that coaches used to have a more of a say in, in players? Uh, what – what was the dynamic like then? Uh, it, it was a collaboration, no question. Um, 
the, the scouts back when we were doing it, and I'm sure it's 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 different than when we were uh, coaching and playing. They would do all the the pre work, you know, leading up to the draft. You didn't have to worry about guys coming out early as well or playing six years like you do now. I mean, that's uh, that'd be a tougher scout job and, and getting ready. But they gave us around twenty to twenty five names of players they thought that they would be interested in drafting. Um, and then maybe even some preferred free agents. And then we would watch film and we would then come to a conclusion of how many of those players we really were. We would have thought we had a chance to draft and would be interested in drafting. And then we would go out to all their pro days and talk with the players, watch film, talk with the coaches. And by the time we got to the draft, we we were pretty in line with them on how you rated the players. Now, what I didn't get that where you lose um, some of that collaboration is, and I'll give you an example. It was probably 1992 or three, whenever it was. I wanted a safety. I, I thought the safety was a really good player, <clears throat> but the scouting department, all of them, had a center rated higher than him. And I was like, look, I don't know what that center is. I really don't. But my guy will make the team. He'll probably be a starter. <clears throat> I don't know what your center is. So there you don't get to know. You know, it's like, okay, we need a center. That center's actually rated higher. So those are the things you don't get to do is be a part of all of the, the uh, positions. But no, I, there wasn't too many that you really disagreed on. And if you did, then they brought in everybody, brought in the head coach, brought in the general manager, brought in the defensive coordinator. You would sit there, watch it together, until you could come pretty much to a conclusion of where you put the players in order of ranking. You know, John said something to us that he had said earlier, I think, in speaking with the media, that he'd only taken two quarterbacks in 14 years and almost kind of apologized for it. Like, like, yeah, kind of messed that up. We've only taken two in 14 years. Now, obviously, having Russell <laughs> yeah. eliminated that, that need, that pressing need for a quarterback for over a decade. Uh, but does that lead you to believe that, all right, there's going to be a quarterback in this draft they're going to take now? Where they take that quarterback is, I guess, the question. Would you be stunned, shocked, and amazed if they spent, say they don't trade up or down, they stay at 16 and somehow there's a quarterback, J.J. McCarthy's there, just play the hypothetical. Would you be stunned if they went with a quarterback there? I don't know if stunned. Um, uh, Yes, I would be surprised. Uh, And and here's why I think I would be surprised is, one, it's hard to draft a quarterback in the first round or even second round because those players or that position or that pick is expected to give immediate results to your team. They're, they're, they're going to play <clears throat> more likely than not. And so you just feel like, well, if I get a quarterback for the Seahawks, if you drafted someone in the first round or second round, they're not playing next year. There's not a quarterback in this draft and I would even say the number one pick that could beat out Geno Smith. I it's just there. Geno's a good quarterback and you just don't see rookie quarterbacks coming in there. And all of a sudden they're true pro bowlers. And I mean, true where they are a team that, uh, or they're a player that defensive coordinators got, Oh boy, how are we going to stop this? It just doesn't happen. There's just too much of a learning curve and it takes, takes time. So that would be my only thing in that, for the Seahawks to draft a quarterback that high, they'd have to really be thinking, okay, 
Um, we're in well positioned right now. We we're, we're looking, you know, two, three years down in the, the salary cap. I mean, you, you're, you are playing chess, you're 10, 12 moves ahead of everybody. So I just think that that pick is going to be such an impactful pick for him. I would be a little surprised. Hey, Paul, um, you know, as far as guys skipping out uh, of things like that, not, you know, back when you were a coach and, you know, how you evaluate players now and how, how you think about everything that, that they do, is that something if somebody, you know, uh, didn't go to the combine? I mean, I understand if it's an injury or something like that, but if I feel like if, for me, I'm very old school. Like you, you should be all in on everything, and uh, whether it's the going to the and I went to the Senior Bowl and I went to the the Combine and all that stuff. But I just wanted to make sure everybody knew I really loved football and really wanted to to play. And and I feel like that's that's still kind of the case. Do you do you feel that way as well? Yeah, I I do, but I also know it it has changed. And and I came out with John Elway, and I remember they wanted him to run a forty yard dash, and he kind of like laughed at him, like why? What do you, what do you need me to run a forty yard dash for? And and is that going to change what you think of me? I'm going to be the number one pick, no matter what. Um, and so, you know, I mean, look, John held out and he played baseball. And back then that was kind of frowned on like, oh, you don't really, you know, care about football at that time. And so, you know, obviously Marvin Harrison Jr., though, you know, he's so gifted. His tape is so good. They don't need to see if he runs a 4-2 or 4-3. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's really going to affect him. It becomes a business decision at that point. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of teams out there that go, boy, I hope those first two, three, four teams don't want them because of that, because the number six team is going to take them. <laughs> so, mm. um, but, but you're right, Dave. I think, uh, look, our day, there wasn't as many, there wasn't the combine and type of real time video that you could get. I mean, you had to ship the film and, you know, you're looking at it through tape, literally tape at the time. It just uh, the combine meant so much more, and, and getting into the pro days, those were critical so that you could be seen. Most of these guys have been seen; they they know the tape does matter. And if you've got a great pedigree like Marvin Harrison Jr., you know what what does a forty yard dash really mean? I think it's his interview would be critical in the why, and I think he'd be able to explain that pretty easy. Hey, did you get a chance to see that little clip that uh, Aaron Levine tweeted out, his conversation with Mike McDonald, that it took place before the, the Geno guarantee kicked in on his deal? But there was that little clip that, that made its way around social media that a lot of people responded to where basically he was asked if both Geno Smith and Drew Locke are involved in the future of the Seahawks. And then Mike's answer in part was, quote, that's a tough question. It's one I probably can't answer right now. And people kind of ran with that and you know they're not committing to Gino and Gino deserves better than this and how how did, a did you see it if not how do you how do you take that response what does that mean to you um I didn't see it but I thought the way he described it was like I've seen it so I can definitely <laughs> talk to it um I, I it was funny because I think I saw it on X but I didn't listen to the whole thing for whatever reason and I really like Aaron Levine so don't take that personal um <laughs> I think what he's saying there, it's, it's too early. Um, and I'm relying on John to make those type of decisions because, you know, obviously I think that's pretty easy in that. I don't know, Drew Locke in our salary cap, you know, how much are we going to pay a backup? 
Um, Geno Smith, you know, I don't know what our coaches have already or scouts have already seen from uh, uh, the quarterbacks coming in and what our draft spot, you know, what, how they might work some magic there. So I think it was just a safe thing for him that I don't know right now, but I'm pretty sure if you're him and you're a new head coach, man, you want a veteran quarterback who can play. And we have one of those, uh, you know, again, as you have futures two, three, four years down the road, I don't know. Um, but I think you surround Gino, you guys know how I feel about it. You surround Gino with a good team, give him good protection, Run good routes. Geno's accurate. He'll he'll hurt teams. Hey, Other Paul, teams, not us. Yeah. Hey, what do you think the priority is on on uh, Big Cat Williams? You know, is because I don't. I think they've liked him for a long time. I think he he solves a lot of their problems uh, up front at, in the defensive line. But do you think that's going to be a big priority? Or if you had to match that up with their needs at linebacker, where does that mm-hmm. one rank? I think it's pretty high, and I don't know if it has to be him. Um, I think it has to be somebody in free agency. And there's some defensive tackles out there. Um, and I think what why we like Leonard Williams so much is he's got a high motor. He's going to play a lot of downs. You know, he can get you 75 80% of the snaps. He plays with that uh, kind of intensity. And he takes double teams. I mean, he, he, he requires a double team. And if he didn't get double teamed so much, I think you'd see some more production in, in sacks and quarterback hits as well. Um, but he's a complete defensive tackle. Now, there may be some guys that have a little more shake as free agents um, that maybe they're looking at and saying, you know, we get them for a couple million dollars more, we'll do that. But I think that third tackle, we got to have one. We, we can't just have two. I know they're going to have to rely on some young guys too, but I, I, I would think Leonard Williams would be a big one. Hey, one guy I'm sure we've asked you about a number of times, and I can't remember what your response was, but Daryl Taylor's always been an interesting guy. Dave and I spent a lot of time talking about his athleticism and his potential, and you've seen it in the numbers in this past season, just seemed to be fairly anonymous. I mean, just a lot of games where you just never heard his name called, and I'd constantly ask Dave as he was looking at the percentages they were on the field, was was he out there? I don't remember hearing his name, and I don't remember seeing him. He's a free agent. Is he a guy you look at and say, man, that's an untapped resource. It just, he needs the right coaching and he can be a difference maker. Or do you look at him and say, they're fine without him. If they get him at a reasonable price, I'll take him. Well, I think with uh, Uchenna coming back and hopefully healthy, um, I don't think Daryl Taylor's a high priority. Um, but I'll say this with a, with a little bit to this. I, I'd be curious what Coach McDonald thinks he could do with him. Right now, I think that Daryl is, is really a one type of player. He's an edge rusher. Um, and, you know, the thing that's, you know, it's a, he's a tease and that he'll get sacks. But, man, there's some other parts of his game. It just doesn't translate to a three down guy. You know, he's not on the field all the time. So you're looking at an edge rush specialist. How much do you want to pay for that? Um, so for me right now, from what I've seen uh, with how he's been coached and how we've used him, I, I don't see that as a high priority for, as a free agent. Now, you may be able to get him relatively inexpensive, but a lot of times guys who get you know those eight to ten sacks and maybe the rest of their game isn't there, other teams look at that and go, oh, I'll pay for that. And, you know, we happen to see and live with the guy for the last few years. We know – you know, he's, he needs to do more than that to, to get the kind of money that I'd want to pay him. 
Paul, I know you were a safety, but uh, you've always been sort of a linebacker aficionado. And so, and, or that you just wish that you'd play linebacker and maybe yeah, one you, of those. you weren't, you weren't smart enough. I think that was probably the problem. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you played inside. Remember in the, the oiler game when we shut down their little run and shoot thing, you were a good linebacker. Well, um, I had to tell you where to go, Dave. They said, can you yeah. line up next to Dave Wyman and tell him to read the center? And then when the <laughs> center blocks back, it's a trap and to make sure he fills. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, we had a lot of success. But does um, if you could pick any linebacker right now, uh, as far as w- w- whether it's Brooks, Bobby Wagner, Patrick Queen, you know, Levante David's out there, um, who – who is the who's the one that you think is is the best of that group that's available anyway? Um, I the Tampa Bay. I think both Tampa Bay linebackers are free agents, if I'm not mistaken. They are um, Devin White and, and, and Levante David. Yeah, yeah. And I don't get me wrong. I like both of them. Um, you know, they're getting a little a little bit older as well and don't run as well as they used to. Um, for me, just from what I obviously Patrick Queen would be. Interesting, but I, I, I got to have someone else with him. I mean, he's not a true Mike linebacker, but with Coach McDonald, I don't know. I mean, again, they, he did a lot of roaming, right? In other words, he wasn't planted. Like you see Bobby Wagner, Bobby's got his hands on his pads and he's in a linebacker position, right? And he's pretty frozen. You know, Patrick Queen, Patrick Queen is, he's moving around. He's tall. You don't know what he's going to do. Is he going to blitz? Is he going to drop in coverage? You know, you, you don't know. Um, but I would like some guys who could run. And the one thing I, I like about Jordan Brooks and Patrick Queen, they, they can both run. They're two very different type of players that you could interchange. And again, they're two free agents. That's a lot of money. Um, so, I, you know, for what's out there, yeah, maybe I'm more comfortable with just the guy we got here with Jordan Brooks. I know what he can do, and if you will give him some true opportunities to rush the quarterback as well, I, I think he can have all kinds of success. Paul, let's get your take on the Mariners as uh, spring training is underway. It's still very early, but a couple of concerns. you got a couple guys that uh, Urias has, has yet to throw a ball. He's got a shoulder situation going on. Santos, the guy they brought over from the White Sox, has got, a, I believe, a shoulder thing going on as well. But the most concerning one is Matt Brash, and we're expected to hear some news on him tomorrow. But there's a lot of speculation out there. Wouldn't we say industry sources or something like that yesterday, Dave, that were saying he was going to miss either a significant part of the season or all of it. I don't know who those sources are, but we'll find out if it's true. But that's – how concerning is that to you when you hear that? Oh, yeah, that's huge. Uh, when I heard that, I not that I can actually see it on TV because we don't put the games on TV except when they use, like, the Chicago White Sox broadcast team. But that's <laughs> another story. Don't get me started. Um which I really don't understand. Why wouldn't you promote your team all spring? But um, with that, with Brash, it's there's two reasons why I'm concerned. One is it looks like he probably, yeah, there's something going on there. I mean, the the concern from services voice is real. You got to go do an MRI. Best case scenario, he's out for a few weeks. And with Brash, Brash, he's 
I mean, one of his things is his release point, right? There's times he gets off on his release points and he, that sweeper gets way too wide on him. And so I, if there's one guy who needs spring training and to make sure he's in his rhythm and comfortable, I think it's brash. So really, really concerned. And on top of that, we got some other guys coming back from injuries that maybe we weren't counting on being in that setup role. So I think that's big. I think any of the bats, you know, those, those come back quick. Um, you know, it's, it's a bat. You just got to time up the hundred and, 102 mile an hour fastball, which it seems like it, it would be a big deal, but it doesn't seem like it's a big deal for hitters. So yeah, I'm, I'm concerned, but I, I like this team. I'm just, you know, just watching them. It, they're fun. You know, I just, you know, the one game, I guess I did get to see with the White Sox calling it. Um, they, they had high praise for our team. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's good. Hey, uh, Paul, you know, with Scott service, I know we haven't talked to you much about him, but just, uh, you know, he, he just goes up a notch every every off season and in spring training and that that deal where he went out and met with his his leaders and I don't know if you read Divish's article about it but you know I went and visited even Luis Castillo down in the DR I mean he he was all over the place you know just getting making sure all of his guys were right went and saw JP and Ty France and Cal of course pretty pretty amazing um you know move by him what what are your thoughts on service and where where he ranks Oh, I, you know, he's a great leader. I, you know, he's a catcher. I mean, catchers, you know, you you got to bring everybody together. You're like a quarterback. I mean, you can't just be isolated. And, you know, that's come from when he was a player to, to now as, as a manager. And, I mean, you know, there's times people, you know, look, two years ago when they had that losing streak before we got to the playoffs, the people were talking about firing him. And I love coaches. And there's been a, uh, there's a lots of examples. I won't go through them all, but, there's lots of examples of coaches who've gone through really tough adversity, stayed the course because of what they believed in, turned the thing around, and that's what Scott's done. I mean, you know, you, even the last year, I mean, in the, in obviously the year we go to the playoffs, that to me is so impressive. That's leadership. When you can get through adversity and it doesn't face you. Um, and we, we got a great manager. You know, I'm sure there's analytic people out there that he drives them nuts. Um, for me, I, I got no problem with him, and I think uh, this could be a fun team. I, I just hope we get the, the challenges. Look, we're counting on people who were had great years, didn't have great years to make that leap next year um, or this year. And so, you know, there's always a little bit of a, a wish on that. But I, I think we're going to be fun to watch. I just hope Brash doesn't set the mood right from the get-go uh, on a downer mode. Yeah, you you and everybody else hoping for the same thing. We'll find out uh, presumably tomorrow. Paul, as always, great stuff. We appreciate you, my friend. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk again next week. I appreciate you guys, and Moyer out. Yeah, baby. Go. Yeah, he's, na- he's got it nailed. Yes, he uh, does. There you go. Paul Moore, if you guys missed any of that conversation, it will be available on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Coming up, we got some answers and perhaps a few more questions about the Mariners' situation at third base. Talk about that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks once again to Paul Moyer, who joined us in the previous segment. In case you guys are just tuning in, you can find that conversation on the podcast page at seattlesports.com after the show. Meanwhile, the area we've talked about with the Mariners that, you know, way back when we were talking about, well, what were your concerns? 
Where are your concerns with this team? Mine's been third base the whole time. Well, and I know you like to say it this way. Um, it's third base, and it's not even close. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's not. I'm sure that listen. If Brash goes down, maybe, maybe my bullpen concerns elevate. Certainly. Yeah. But uh, right now, it's third base. I, I just, I don't love the idea of the platoon that they've got there. Maybe these. I hope these guys. Anytime I have a a bad feeling about something with one of my teams, I desperately want to be proven wrong. I would love third base to just shine this year, and everybody goes, see, Rojas, Urias, they were fine. They were fine. And you don't mind people texting in saying you were being an ass about it or anything like that? If, if it turns Not out that you ever have. <laughs> no, I was wanting to hear that last year about Colton Wong and Pollock and everybody else. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully we'll hear it this year. But for me, that's a, that's a power position. That's a position you expect production out of. And... You know, if you're not going to get production, I hope you're getting really good defense, and I don't know that you're going to get either out of these two. Now we'll we'll see, uh, but you know, the, it feels like there's a uh, there's a third name that's been entered into that into that potential pool of players that will play third base. Uh, Jerry Depoto speaking with Brock and Salk today. Uh, he was asked if there's any chance Ty France could play some third base this year. Yeah, I guess there's always a chance, and it's one thing that we've always done, and this developmentally from the minor leagues to the major leagues. We, all of our outfielders play all the positions. The infielders move around. You know, we try to give them the various exposures because you never know what's going to happen during the course of a season. And some of the, the, the things that have been impressive in this early going, one is the, the physical condition of Ty France. He's, he's, he looks incredibly athletic right now. And I'm, I mentioned it to him. It, the, he did the work this offseason. And, and Perry Hill's always believed in him as a third baseman. So giving him the opportunity to rotate over over there it just like i talked about with the flexibility with guys like rojas urias moore etc you know if ty france fits into that bucket all the better for us polanco is also a guy who can go play third base he's got second he's played a little first having that type of versatility really provides depth before you even get to the next layer of, of player can any of them play it well i i realize you've got a bunch of guys you feel like you can rotate in there if it, if if it situation necessitates that but is there any of them that you feel like, man, this guy can he can play that spot? Now, remember back when we talked to Divish, I don't know, was it maybe two seasons ago? And we asked him about Ty France at third base. Remember what he said? He's a really good first baseman? No, he said he's he's for a third baseman, he's a really good DH. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was not a rave review of of his uh his prowess at third base. Now he's he seems to by everybody's measure in a different physical condition maybe it allows him more range maybe it's better i don't know i don't and i don't and, and the other part of the that that i thought was funny is somebody tweeted at divish they said hey just heard depoto say france at third is possible and then ryan wrote yep it'll be news to tie <laughs> apparently oh, okay I, to me it just it's a bad idea i'm sorry he's coming off of a you know, a sort of a down year, and mm-hmm. through the off season, he went and fixed himself and everything. Let's not mess with that. Let's just let's just see if that plays out for him at the plate. You know, he's he's fixed his offensive problems. I think I don't know. He's an above average first baseman, right? I feel like I think he's a very solid. I don't know what the analytics say about yeah. him. I don't I don't like defensive uh, saber metrics, but uh, I think he's a very good defensive first baseman. Yeah. Yeah, is how I, I view him. And I thought it was kind of a surprise, you know, because he played a little bit, I think, that first year he was here. And then he, you know, he had played third with the, with the Padres. But I, I just feel like he's he's coming back. This, that part of it is very solid. He's a good, solid first baseman who had 
problems with his swing, and he got it fixed. And just because he's athletic and in better shape, I don't mean that. I don't think that means you should you should throw him at to, uh, on third base. I, I don't think that's the the right the right fix. That's just my opinion. But yeah, that, I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> well, and I you know I, I get from Jerry's perspective, he's he he likes the ability to throw out these different names that could play there. Hey, Polanco could play there. Well, we're hearing about his range at second base not being maybe what you want it to be. That defensively, he may not be the stud you'd want at second. We'll find out. We'll see what he does. But, you know, the idea that, okay, there are some questions about his defense at second, perhaps. So third is going to be any better? I, I don't, you know, we'll, we'll see. It just feels like you're taping it together. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Like, hey, we got all these, we got all these guys. It's like the old saying, if you got, what, three quarterbacks, you got none. You know, mm-hmm. you, right. that's what it feels like. Hey, I got four different names here. We could throw in there at third base in a pinch. It's like, well, is it going to be a pinch all year, or, <laughs> or can, can we get a can we get our guy there? Right. Yeah, pinch is supposed to be like three or four games. Yeah, yeah. Somebody goes that's down. Somebody's hurt. Yeah. That, yeah. Then hey, throw Ty out there. Uh, that's great. But uh, he's Jerry went on to say that he he likes their situation at third base. I like our situation at third base. You know, they're they're both guys who've been successful major league players. If you combine each of their best seasons, you got about a five and a half win player, <laughs> which is that's no joke. And you know, it, they just do it in a slightly different way. And and I think you look around some of, you know, in in the baseball world, you're not going to have an all-star solution at every position on the field or in the roster. And I think that is a, when there are no games being played and you think as a, as a, as a broader baseball community, ah, they can go get such and such. Yeah, but then you're taking away from the advantage that it provides you in, in versatility and flexibility and depth. Mm. I, I agree with him. You're not going to have an all-star at every position. He's 100% yeah. on that. But then right. saying if you go out and get that guy, it takes away from your versatility because you've got this guy who's set in stone in that position. Yeah, that doesn't seem problematic to me that seems like a bonus oh and the, the thing i disagreed with is when he said i like our situation at third base yeah that was the other thing yeah um, <laughs> i also don't agree with that part either yeah so yeah i i don't know I, but you, you know right putting it in perspective yeah you want i mean you want to feel solid at every single position you want to have you know a guy that's going to make a difference and uh, you know and i get that and there's going to be a couple of weak points on pretty much every team right certainly yeah. so um but yeah, it just seems like it's very. Hopefully, we get that answered. I would love to see somebody. Well, I'm teasing ahead, but Brock gave us a, a couple of names that that we'll we'll hear at four o'clock. But um, yeah, I, I I understand that part of it, but I am entirely against Ty France going over there just because I think he he went through a lot, and it sounds like his body transformed quite a bit. That's hard to do, man. I mean, for him to he was he was kind of a pudgy guy. You know, yeah, he looked wasn't fat. He was just kind of looked like yeah, maybe he wasn't cut. He was very thick. He yeah. looked like he's a strong guy, right? You know, like he's he's got big thighs and he's got big arms. He's just kind of a stout. He's like a fire hydrant. Yeah, he's a guy who looks like he could just lift a hundred pounds up over his head without even thinking about <laughs> That's it. That's right. That's exactly him and Costanza. I'm telling him you, and George Costanza. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I feel like he's let's let's take it one at a time now. Now you throw him in at third base and. You know, a lot of times they talk about, you know, the connection of you playing defensively and your approach at the plate and everything, that it's, you know, one helps the other, and now all of a sudden you're out at third base, not super comfortable there. Is that going to screw up any timing or anything the way he thinks about when he's up at the plate? I don't want to mess with that. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd prefer not to see him there. I'm with you. And that's, 
I don't know. Just the end of that cut is the the part that really struck me is him just saying, you know, if you got a guy there that takes away from that that versatility that you've got going. Like this is a more somehow this is a more advantageous position to be in at third than if you had your everyday third baseman. <laughs> Why is that? This is yeah. better because we got versatility. I'm like, yeah. no, it's, it, it's not better. Don't do that. Don't no no. Don't do that. It's well, not. Well, I mean, better. look, I, I think I liked what he said. You know, like like you said as well. You know, give, let's give some perspective to it. You're not going to have an all star at every single right. position, so that 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 part is fine. But I don't I don't think anybody's going to buy that that he really likes what this is what's better. going on at third. Yeah, yeah. this is it's not a better situation. No, it's more not. better. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's none more better. Mm-hmm. It's not. Um, so listen again. This isn't a knock on. You know, maybe Rojas has a career year. Maybe Urias shows us something you don't expect. The, yeah. the shoulder gets better. The guy can hit. Okay, maybe maybe he's going to be better there than we than we're giving him, or I'm giving him credit. I'll take ownership of that, um, and it won't be as problematic as it appears right now. But right now, that, that's the one area I I've, I don't feel awesome about. You know, the one one thing consistently we've heard about Urias is that he's not very impressive physically. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I mean, uh, we don't know if he can play up. third base. Let's see, maybe maybe he shines, uh, but uh, that's that's really all we've heard. All right, coming up, uh, we know not to be surprised about what the Seahawks do in the draft, but they could do one thing that would be pretty surprising. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. How much would you pay to go see a bunch of cartoons? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we were just talking about our boy Matt, who's uh, who's going to spend the rest of the week at the uh, at the Seattle version of Comic Con. Like, what is it called again? Emerald City Comic Con. Emerald City. I think it's called Comics Kong. Comics Kong. Yeah, it's spelled K O N G. <laughs> no, I but told I, him to send pictures so we can make fun of him. Well, but, I guess Taylor said said the same thing. Send him a text like send us some pictures, and he he texted back. No, I'm too busy. <laughs> I like you grilling uh, Taylor about the the crowd there. Yeah, are yeah. there any are there any girls there? It's like, <laughs> yeah, there's tons of them. Is there any pretty girls there? <laughs> I'm stereotyping. That's probably not fair, but uh, it doesn't seem like that'd be. Uh, it just sounds like, like a sounds like a rush concert. It does. Yeah, a bunch of white dudes who <laughs> can't get laid. Bunch of- I get- yeah, that's what it seems like to me. A bunch of nerds out yeah. there and very very few with them. The ratio's way off, way off. I know that because I was one of them. You were, you were at a Rush I concert? I Rush concert, yeah. It was you and 10,000, 12,000 other men? Yes. <laughs> oh, right. my goodness. All right. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad Matt's in his element out there. He's, he's probably just having the time of his life. He deserves it. It's probably one of the few things in his life that truly make him happy. Well, and he doesn't mind making fun of himself, so I'm hoping that he's uh, he's going to send us some pictures. Oh, yeah. We can, we can do that. I just love that you told Taylor, no, nah, I'm too busy. <laughs> too busy. What was it? Taylor told us 200 bucks for the weekend or... Couple, a couple hundred, I think he said. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. Com- Comic Con. Comics Con. <laughs> there you go. Comics Con. Uh, all right. Uh, so there, there are a ton of mock drafts, as we talked about, Dave. And I keep finding them every night. And you guys are probably sick of me sending them to you. No, look, look at this I one. I love it, man. I just think it's, it's entertaining to it see is. all of the different names that are attached to this team. Now, this one was was kind of unique. This one from CBS. Because the guy not only did a mock draft... 
Let me see his name. It's uh, Chris Trapasso. Is that mm-hmm. how you say his name, you think? Looks right. Lefko? Um he, so he did he did a mock draft, but then he also did uh, a shift with quarterbacks. He said, in the spirit of you know what's gone on with the mock draft and, and free agency and everything, he goes, let's play some musical chairs with veteran quarterbacks who could be on the move with some guesses as to their landing spots. So before we get into what he picked for the mock, this was interesting because he has Baker Mayfield signs with the Falcons. Kirk Cousins signs with the Steelers. Russell Wilson traded to the Raiders. Jacoby Brissett signs with the Patriots. Justin Fields traded to the Seahawks. <sighs> really? Now, he's not basing it. He doesn't give you a description. He just says, he just said, hey, for those who celebrate, uh, you know, happy NFL Combine Week, he said 2024 draft class loaded with top, loaded at the top with plenty of blue chip prospects to the depth that offensive tackle, wide receiver, quarterback, edge rusher, even running back is impressive. But every year at the Combine Week, head coaches and GMs step up to the podium to speak to the media. A lot of chatter about veteran movement coming in March. So in, in that spirit, let's do this. And that's what he came up with. Uh, how confused would you be if – the Seahawks traded for Justin Fields. Wildly confused. Yes. Yes. I mean, he may end up being good at some point. He's an he's very athletic. He's great on very. the run. I just haven't seen what everybody else seems to believe he's got as a passer, as a as a guy who can get the ball down the field and, and manufacture a drive. And you look at his numbers, tell a different story. Yeah, I mean, and the numbers aren't horrible. Uh, I mean, if you look at his past numbers, uh, it's sixty percent. I mean, the standard's pretty much sixty-five, and I, and I was bringing that up. That was that was Matt Hasselbeck and and Mike Holmgren. That was the that was the standard. Start at sixty-five, and we see, you know, there was years where Gino was almost seventy. So mm-hmm. I mean, but he's at sixties at sixty-one, and then doesn't throw a lot of touchdowns. Doesn't throw a ton of uh, of interceptions, but he's also not, you know throwing the ball very much. I mean, I think Gino had like 555 attempts. He had 370. Now, he only played in 13 games, but and he's a fantastic runner. But yeah. That would just be incredibly confusing. Anyway, getting back to uh, to the mock draft, but yeah, that part of it is, and, and I think that takes a lot, so I, I really admire what this guy did, the, the amount of work that he put in there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so, who knows? I You know, you never know with John what they've got brewing back there because... Maybe they are in a position where they're going, hey, we can't draft the quarterback we want yeah. at 16. We don't have the draft capital to move up into the top five, or we don't want to give up the draft capital it would take to get up there. But this guy is going to be available because the team with the number one pick is going to take Caleb Williams. So they've got a surplus here. they got a quarterback they got to get rid of, so maybe we can get him at a reasonable price, and we, we believe we can develop him. Yeah, he, Because the raw tools are there. You see the tools, but just to this point – it hasn't it hasn't really shown itself in a consistent way on the field and yet there seems to be a level of belief that man you this guy's a stud and you if you get this guy on the roster it changes the whole dynamic i don't see that yet but maybe maybe it's still there maybe maybe they see a diamond in the rough in a lot of instances yeah i'm looking at this guy's uh, mock draft and and you're right but i i agree with you um i'm looking at uh, i'm looking at roma dunze and i was listening to daniel Jeremiah this morning, mm-hmm. and he was on with I think Bucky Brooks, and he was just going on and on and on about Roma Dunze and just you know how he's the best receiver he thinks in the draft, and you know of course Harrison I think is the the favorite in the clubhouse, but um, 
You know, the, the other thing that excites me, though, in his mock draft is that he has Brock Bowers, the tight end out of Georgia, going at number 14. So, I mean, it's close. And maybe the Seahawks would, would trade up to, to get him if that was the case. But that kid is just, he's a beast. I'd be, pre- I'd be pretty excited about that pick. Tight end. Yeah, because it you only have one on the roster right now. I mean, Disley's the guy that signed. Noah yeah. Fant and, and Colby Parkinson are both free agents. Right. So it's kind of like your linebacker position where there you don't even really have a starter. Again, with all due respect to Mr. Radigan and, and Nick Ballore. But, but uh, yeah, you've got a, a big need as it sits right now at linebacker and tight end. you got Disley, who's we've talked about. He could be a cap casualty or maybe a guy they go to and say, we need to restructure your deal. I mean, 17 catches on 22 targets for less than 200 yards and one touchdown. Yeah. I mean, it's not working. And he could make the... I don't know. I, I thought Will had very much a down year, and I thought mostly it was because of the penalties. But you know, I didn't. I didn't really realize the lack of targets yeah. until the end of the year, and you look back. But that this guy has uh, with the 16th pick, Byron Murphy. You know, remember when we were going into the the uh, semifinals and watching, looking at the Huskies, and they're playing Texas, and that mm-hmm. was the big thing was they have two guys inside. And Byron Murphy being one of them, he's the smaller one at six one three zero eight. Yeah, the other guy yeah. they had to weigh on a truck scale or something. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean that that would be one way to go. I think, um, you know, I think with Leonard Williams, if you get him signed, uh, I'm I'd be surprised if they they got an inside guy like that. But remember how daunting that Commanders defense was when they had Deron Payne and mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember the other guy who. There was a film of him squatting like 900 pounds or something like that. So having that D-line that solid, I think, you know, that's that's an interesting way to go. All right, coming up, uh, apparently we've tracked him down. Brock Heward set to join us next live from Peoria. That's coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.